Hello, ladies. Hi. Happy definitely fall today. <laughs> Bring out your sweaters, right? Everybody's wearing their cute fall apparel. <laughs> all right. I am so excited to be with all of you tonight. And last week we were off because it was Columbus Day. And I literally feel like I haven't seen all of you in a month. <laughs> so um, I'm excited to be here with all of you and to share on these amazing daughters of Zelophad and um, so much to learn from them as you are doing your homework and reading this chapter in the book of Numbers. I hope you gleaned just as much as I did and all the ladies I was talking to before uh, tonight just sharing. There's, there's so many good nuggets there. Um, had anyone maybe not read the story prior to today? It's like, wow, I forgot this was in here. <laughs> it's a good nugget. All right, so I'm going to open us in prayer, and we're going to get right into the study. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for your grace and love that is just overflowing. I pray, Lord, that tonight would be a work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can do nothing apart from you, Lord. We don't know how to hear your word apart from you, Lord. You opened our eyes in salvation. So I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that work tonight in sanctification. So I pray, Lord, that you would show us your word, help us to glean from you and have our eyes and our hearts fixed on you, God. Thank you for your love and grace and for the cross. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, we're in the book of Numbers, chapter 27. And it's only 11 verses, so I'm going to start by reading it. I'm definitely not as animated as Val is every time she reads through the scriptures. I'm like, this is so fun. <laughs> so thank you, Val. But um, I'll, I'll just read the scriptures for you. So Numbers 27, it says, Then came the daughters of Zelophad, the, sons, uh, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the family of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirsa. And they stood before Moses, before Eliezer the priest, and before the leaders in all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord, in company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, The daughters of Zelophad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if the father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So um, we're going to call this message a case of great faith. And we're going to go through it in three parts. The first point is the case. The second point is the verdict. And the third point is the amendment. 
So the case, the verdict, and the amendment. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, good. So some backdrop to this story is that um, we know that Israel's at this point because they had this really grandiose, miraculous work of the Lord as they left their slavery in Egypt and God parted the Red Sea in Moses' and Aaron's leading and they walked through the dry land, right? And they went on the other side. Well, it's been 39 years since that moment, okay? A lot of time has passed and they're in the middle of the wilderness and they had just been wandering in circles for 39 years. At this point, it's actually just a few months before they enter the land and it's those final, final preparations. They're at the gate of Moab. So they're in Moab at the gate to enter into the promised land and it's those last few months and Moses is just working out all these final details as they enter in. So the story introduces us to the defendants of the case, right? Who are the defendants? Their names are Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirzah. And I was thinking when I read their names, I was like, whew, that's a lot of girls, <laughs> a lot of sisters. <laughs> I never had sisters growing up. I had a brother, but not sisters. I had a lot of girl cousins, but I was like older when they were born. And I just thought like they probably had so much fun, right? Like so much personality. And I thought that their, the meaning of their names actually gave us a little glimpse into all their personalities. So Mala actually means diseased or sickness. So maybe she was sick all the time, right? She was that sister. And then um, Noah is actually um, a girl name, but it's a little different than the Noah of Genesis 6-8. It's actually pronounced in Hebrew, Nue, okay? And if you don't already have the Blue Letter Bible app, okay, I'm always telling my group about this. If you don't have it, most of you do, but it's a really great app. It's free and it has a lot of really good sound Bible commentary. But one of my other favorite tools about the Blue Letter Bible app is that it has a concordance, and then it tells you how all the names are pronounced in Hebrew, right? Even if you don't get the pronunciation, it's just nice to hear this like really like baritone man say like, right? Like he's just really like gives a good description. But yeah, it, it, it helps you realize it's a little different than the name Noah right in Genesis 6 8 so it's like a feminine version the same root but her name actually means um, shaky wavering and quiver okay and Noah in Genesis 6 8 means rested so they're like kind of an antithesis to each other so maybe she was the fearful sister like she was always scared of everything right uh, then we had Hagla and her name means partridge so she was totally the free bird right she was like I'm going out. And then um, there was Milka, and her name actually means queen. She was definitely the one with a strong personality, right? And then you have Tirza, who means favorable, and I bet she was the baby of the family. <laughs> so um, a lot of vibrant personalities. But the next question we want to ask in this case is to whom are they making this case? At first glance, we say Moses, right? It's obvious. It says it in the scripture. Um, but if you dig a little deeper in God's word, you actually learn that there was a lot of more people that they brought the case before they went to Moses. So we're going to go back to the book of Exodus in chapter 18. And um, in chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro is his name, comes to visit him. And when he comes to visit him, he sees Moses in Exodus 18, just from morning till night, the word says that he's just doing like 
cases and telling people like, here's what the word says, here's what you should do, here's what the Lord says, here's what you should do, right? Like from morning till night. And Jethro says, this thing that you're doing, it's not good, right? <laughs> he says, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear themselves out for this thing is too much for you and you're not able to perform it by yourself. So he was like, no, you got to figure out another plan and here's my advice to you. So Jethro, his father-in-law says in verse 21 of Exodus 18, moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. So really there was like a ruler over 10, 50, 100, 1,000, and then Moses. So that makes us realize that this was a very involved process these girls were in. So they didn't just show up at Moses' tabernacle door. They met with a guy over the 10, over the 50, over the 100, over the 1,000, and each one of them said, I don't know. <laughs> so they kept like escalating and appealing the issue. So it got, by the time it got to Moses, they were, had already seen four other people, right? So it's a pretty involved process, typically kind of like how case law works, right? Very involved, very lengthy process. But if you put yourself in like a modern day application of these five women, it's almost like, right, going before the U.S. Senate or the Supreme Court of the United States without any previous legal precedent, right? So you have no idea what your outcome is going to be. They show up at the U.S. Supreme Court after all these legal proceedings, and they're waiting for their answers, right? It seems pretty heavy to do that when you think of it that way. So what exactly are they asking for? Well, we know that in Numbers 27, 4, part B, right, the second part of that verse says, give us a possession among our father's brothers. So essentially they're saying, give us the land our father would have gotten, right? Like just give us like what he, his portion was. And the really interesting question is, why are they asking for this? And the scripture also tells us that it says, why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no sons? And this is critical because it shows their heart in the matter, right? They're not there because they're trying to get comfortable. They're not there asking for this because they want more money, right? They're not there asking for this because um, they want to set themselves up for the future. They really have a heart for remembering their father. So their intention is right, right? So James 4 verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So these women had the right heart. They wanted to honor their dad. They wanted to leave a legacy of their dad and they wanted to do right by their father, right? Honor their father. So what are we to learn from them? What are we to learn of these five sisters? Okay, some important takeaways. The first one is that they believed God's promise over what their culture told them. So this is so important because they believed God's truth and God's word instead of what culture told them women was worth, what culture told them women should do or should not do. And how much more true on the opposite end of that, right, today is that we are to believe God's word for what he says is about women, is the purpose of women, is the worth of women because he loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, right? 
and he gave us redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. So we are to believe just like these, these ladies, right? What the word of God says instead of what culture is telling us. So um, David Guzik, Bible commentator, says this about them. These women had great faith in God's promises. They were concerned about dividing what they did not yet have in their hands, but knew they would possess by faith. So they had a great faith. Another Bible commentator says, keep the context in mind. Israel was still on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Remember we said like they were standing at the gate, they were in Moab, but they had not entered in yet. And they hadn't conquered any land. So these women showed a faith greater than their father and their predecessors who refused to believe God's promises in Numbers 14 and 15. And that's why they didn't enter in, right? So these five sisters believed the promise of God to give Israel the promised land and were willing to comfort their reverend leader with their request that they should receive their share when that glorious day was consummated, right? They didn't know when exactly they'd go in, but they knew by faith that they were going to ask for it. The second thing we can learn from these girls is that they didn't overweight, okay? Overweight. <laughs> it's not what you think, okay? Um, so the question here we want to ask is, oftentimes we're thinking like when you're praying something that you're waiting on God, okay? But sometimes we should ask ourselves, is God waiting on me? Is God waiting on us? Is he waiting on me? Um, I like this entry in the January 26th of Streams in the Desert. Um, it says, much of our trouble in life is the result of restless and sometimes reckless haste. We cannot wait for the fruit to ripen, but insist on picking it while it's still green. Yet there's also another side to this teaching. God often waits for us. There are times when we are to move forward with a confident step. And when we don't, this is the overweighting of unbelief. So there is that other side, right? Like we don't want to make haste and go before God, but we don't want to fall behind either, right? We want to be in step with God. And we do that by praying for those things and asking him to give this faith and then taking those steps of faith that he's actually asking us to do. Um, I'm going to give you a practical illustration to this. So uh, in 2019, uh, we had a huge flood in our house. So it was like 6 o'clock in the morning, and I had an 8 a.m. class, and I was the first one like going downstairs. And when I got to the last step, I went like, because it was all water all over the, the first floor of our entire house. And I was like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is going to be an interesting day. Well, um, so they came, they pulled all the water out, and then, like, um, the remediation service came, which, like, brings in, like, 150 fans. That sounds like you're in an airplane hangar, right, all night. And it happened to be the same day my mom was visiting, right? Like, she comes twice a year, and she was, like, so sweet about it. She's like, I'm fine. I'll just stay in my room in the corner up there. <laughs> but it was, like, really loud and really obnoxious. And um, the insurance company and the remediation service company had asked us to work with, like, a specific contractor and we felt like okay we have to like work with this specific contractor because we're going with the insurance company so um, they 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 just had this long long process and you know how insurance companies are 
But um, they sent they sent this guy in called Frank Fuller. Okay, sorry, Frank Fuller. <laughs> we prayed a lot for Frank Fuller. Okay, but every time Frank Fuller would come, we would just like would be like, this is it. We're gonna like finish this deal and then we're gonna get started. Well, it had been like I think like four months since this like whole thing happened, and our entire first floor was concrete and dust, and it wasn't like pretty concrete like Kim has at her house. It was like bad concrete, like just chisels everywhere and we were like trapped on the second floor for four months and Noah had just gotten in his crawling stage so he was just like we just just lived upstairs for a long time but um, I just remember like one thing after the other we'd get these red flags with Frank Fuller like every time he'd show up I'm like all right we're just gonna finish this last thing and he'll start next week and it just would never work out and he wasn't like irresponsible not showing up but he just was like like something wasn't working right so anyways we go back to prayer and we just got this revelation we don't have to use Frank Fuller right it's not working out so we go back to prayer and like Frank Fuller moves on, we take the next step, we work with someone else, and lo and behold, it was like, like two weeks after we had a finished house. And I always use that illustration, like when I get like five like stop signs from the Lord, I tell like John, I'm like, I think this might be a Frank Fuller situation. Like we better go back to prayer. So Frank Fuller has made a huge impact on our spiritual life. <laughs> But sometimes, right, sometimes that's just like you're, you're going down one path and you're like stuck on this specific method, right? We're stuck on the way we're supposed to do something. But maybe, right, just maybe that God's waiting on me, right? Because he's waiting on me to see his pivot or see his new perspective. I am so certain that we were supposed to minister to Frank Fuller and he was there for a purpose, right? And then when we moved on, we were really happy for a finished house, right? But um, just think thinking about that, right? Like we don't want to overweight. If God's telling us like, stop, right? I need you to do something else. Go back to prayer and ask him what he wants you to do. Um, the other cool thing that we can learn from this situation is that the daughters of Zelophad really understood the character of their God. They understood that God was both loving and he was trustworthy, right? He was loving and trustworthy. So they knew that he was loving because they were so quick to ask and feel confident to take this whole process up the chain of appeals, right? Because they knew the God they served was loving. Often we don't ask God because we think either he is unable in our hearts or we think he's not willing, right? One of those two things is what's happening in our hearts. Either he's unable or he's not willing. And this is the most important time that we go back to God's truth and God's promises. Psalm 84:11 says that he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. And we also know, right, that he's a God of compassion. Did you know that the very first description of God's character in the Bible that we get says that God is compassionate? That's the first description we get of God Elohim, that he is a compassionate God, right? That it's the same word we have for nurturing and loving. It literally translates from the Hebrew word for womb, right? Like just caring and nurturing. And I love that. And these girls also knew that their God was trustworthy, right? Hebrews 6, 
18 says that there are two immutable things, right? Two unchanging things. That's what that word means. And it is the fact that God makes us a promise in his word, and then he gives us an oath in his word to do that promise. Isn't that amazing? Um, Hebrews 6.13 gives us an example of this. In the story of Abraham, it says that for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And this is amazing. The girls knew, right? God says something, and when he says it, he's going to do it because he promises it and then says he will do it in his promise, right? So I love that. I love the guarantee of his promise. And the fourth thing we can learn from them is that they were very boldly obedient, right? Sometimes, right, um, we don't obey because we don't understand the full scope of things, right? Isaiah 55 says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? We have no idea on this side of heaven the impact of one person's obedience, right? You saying yes to God in anything he's asked you to do, we have no idea. You may have a small, minute fraction, and you think you have the whole thing, but we have no idea. So um, Noah and I have been watching these fun little cartoons. I've told some of you about them, but um, they're, they're made by the voice of the martyrs, and they basically are like short cartoon bits that tell stories of martyrs of the Christian faith. And I, every time I watch them, I'm like, these people had no idea all that God is going to do through them and through their obedience. And a lot of times, it came way after they went to heaven. <laughs> so I was thinking about, we watched Gladys Aylward um, in her story, and it's just amazing because um, there was like, she was a missionary to uh, China, right? And um, when she was in China, she was ministering, she like ended up having an orphanage for all these kids. Well, war broke out in the town she was in, and she walked with a hundred kids for 30 days on her own for, to the next village, right? Like, we think this is like some supernatural thing, and it is, but she still felt the pain and the hardship and the trials of that whole thing. But if you like look at her life, like after that, right after she passed, like all the fruit that came from it, right? All the churches in early communist China that were planted the seeds of the gospel in the underground church of China before, right? She would have never known. She would have never known with that 30-day journey, right? But I bet she knows now in heaven. Um, I was also thinking about Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. And when she was a missionary to India, it was a standard practice that they would make children temple prostitutes, like children, okay? And she was appalled by this. And she spent her whole life's work, right? Most of it in bed in India, praying to the Lord and writing poetry to the Lord um, about like abolishing this practice. And you know what? They single-handedly trace her work at the Donovar village to abolishing that practice in India. Like even secular like voices will say the same thing. She would have had no idea. She freed like 
thousands and thousands, and we know it wasn't her. It was God working through one obedient vessel, but she had no idea. She probably sat there praying for years and thought, what am I even doing here, right? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. You just get discouraged day to day, right? But we never know that one obedience, what it does in all of heaven, right? We tend to think of things and look at things on a magnifying glass, but it's just, it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger, and God has another way, right? Okay, so the second point of tonight is our verdict. So what did Moses tell them? You read ahead, so you know the answer. Um, but who gives the verdict? Of course, it's Moses, right? God speaking through Moses. And his initial response is what I think we should pay attention to, is that he immediately asks the Lord, right? I love, like, think through this with me, that when the girls came to him, these five women came to him, like, it would have been totally natural for Moses to be like, yeah, that's not a thing. Like, women can't get inheritance land in Israel right now. Like, sorry, you're out of luck right? Like that would be like the normal natural response. Like I've never seen that before. I don't think God's going to say yes, right? But he doesn't say that. He says, okay, let me ask God, right? That's the first thing he does. And how important that is to do. And we know that in Proverbs 22, 28, it says that we aren't to move the ancient landmarks, right? We always work on the standard of truth, but we have to remember, like we said, that the methods might change, right? The methods might change. And our, like, our disposition, our human tendency is to be married to the methods instead of Jesus Christ, right? Like we tend to fall into those like routines of our everyday because they give us comfort, right? We're like, it's okay. I'm going to wake up and make my French press, okay? Then I'm going to make Noah breakfast in that order. And then I'm going to and then I'm going to do like the dishes, right? And then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get right like we tend to get like just really married to those methods, but you know, if you look at the prophets of the Old Testament, they all worked on the same truth, and their, their prophets, right, they were all very different, right? Ezekiel's ministry looked very different than Isaiah's. Isaiah's ministry looked very different than Jeremiah's. And they all worked on the same standard of truth, God's word, right? So we want to think about how Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 5, verse 36. It says that he spoke this parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new one makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled. And the wineskin will be ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So we have to just be attached to the way Jesus wants us to do things. And sometimes that may be inconvenient, right? Sometimes it doesn't fit my plan for today. But, right, I have to go before the Lord and honestly ask him every morning, God, what do you have for me to do this morning, right? Um, if there's a day where I have a lot going on, Lord, what's important for you to make sure I do, right? That I know I can't do everything, but I can do what you called me to, right? So we have to ask him. I always think about Philip in the book of Acts, right? There is an entire revival going on in Samaria, and God says, leave and go to the desert. And he's like, 
what? <laughs> There's a revival, like these Samaritans have their hearts soft and like we need to talk to them, right? He doesn't say that. He goes. He goes for one man in the desert. And he didn't even know there was going to be a man there. And he meets the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, right, church history tells us that majority of the Ethiopian church is traced back to that one man that Philip shared the gospel with. So we have no idea when God tells us to do something, especially when it doesn't make sense, that what he's going to do with that one obedience. So what do we learn from Moses' quickening to ask God for what to do, right? We know that we are to always ask God, right? Don't assume the answer, right? And he's always going to work on the grid of his word, but he may tell us the method is going to look a little different, right? It's always in line with his word, but he may tell us this is how I want you to do it, right? He gives a specific application. Okay, so the third point, the third point is our amendment. So this was um, actually an inheritance law that was amended, right? So um, just a few chapters later, the last chapter, the last thing that Moses takes care of before they're going to go into the promised land is Numbers chapter 36. So the leaders in Israel bring a dispute to Moses, right? They come back. They have a follow-up question. And um, in chapter 36 of the book of Numbers, in verse 2 to 3, they tell Moses this. The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophad to his daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry." So they're concerned that, okay, now that the daughters can get inheritance, if they marry after they get the inheritance, then, like, it's going to be a little messy with all the tribe allocations of the land. So they bring this to Moses, and yet again, Moses goes to the Lord, right? He doesn't assume one thing or the other. And um, it says later in those verses, let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So here God gives an amendment to this inheritance law. He says, if the women are going to take the inheritance, they have to marry within their tribes. And if you go to the end of this story, you see that the daughters of Zelophad all married within their tribe as a result, right? So they all got married, and they married someone within their tribe. So what do we learn from this amendment, right, of the case? Um, is that sometimes... Right? There's, again, that bigger picture, and we have to do the harder thing. One commentary said this, The individual right of inheritance was not the only one, nor the greatest of consideration. So there was a cost that they had to take when they were taking this inheritance, right? So they had to think about the bigger picture, right? Like if we want our dad's name to be remembered, we have to like marry within our tribe. But the neat thing is that Moses didn't say they had to do that, but it was a stipulation if they were going to take the inheritance of the land given to them. So if they wanted to marry outside of their tribe, they could choose to do that, but they would lose the inheritance land. So it's really thinking like, again, I was really pondering a lot about that, and I was thinking about the fact that I love in this like ending of the story of the women that God didn't change his answer. 
right? He didn't say, oh, yeah, I forgot about the tribes thing, right, and the lands thing that I promised and allocated perfectly. Like, no, God knew, right, the whole story, the end from the beginning. And he went back and he said, like, no, I'm not going to take what I promised you away, but you do have to marry someone within their tribe so we keep it all together. And that just puts more trust, right? When we trust in God's promises, you trust that even, right, if something new comes, right, he's not going to change his promise. He's going to keep that promise because when God vows, he does, right, just like he does to the promise of the Israelites, right, that he'll never leave them and nor forsake him, um, and he hasn't now and he will not. And that gives me great confidence, right? What God's viewpoint of Israel is should give us great confidence as believers and daughters of Christ. Okay, let's pray and bring it all together in prayer. Lord, thank you for what we can learn from these daughters, Lord, that you had their story embedded in, in the book of Numbers, Lord, because there are things we can glean and continue to glean from one another in our group time. So we just thank you, God, that your word is so precious and that you're so um, just loving and pour out upon us. So we just praise you, God, and give the rest of this night over to you. And we pray that you would be worshipped in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Who doesn't love a good court case? Yeah. <laughs> okay, verdict. That was a great teaching. How about that name, Hagla? Yeah. All right. Okay, I love that uh, Tamar put, um, let's see here. They believed God's word over what culture tells us, and she made a point. So ask God, and Moses asked God. They had great faith, and they knew what God, that God was loving, trustworthy, and compassionate. And uh, the question was, is God waiting on me? Don't overweight. Is it time to move forward? Well, if you know me, I'm a very structured person. Um, I get up very much the same time every morning. And this morning, I decided to sleep in to the grand old time of about 6.20. So um, I regretted that. I uh, stumbled into the kitchen. And if you know me, I, I have some back problems. So I stand. I usually stand a lot. And so I stand at the counter in my kitchen and do my devotional. And uh, I opened up my book. And I wrote, good morning, Lord. And uh, kind of felt like I needed to say, how are you? So I wrote in, um, all gracious and glorious and powerful. And the answer was yes. But needless to say, um, she put, uh, Tamar brought it out, be attached to Jesus. All, let's see, what did I write? All, no, that was my notes. Be attached to Jesus. <laughs> it's a time to move forward. Anyway, that's what I put. Anyway, I love it. That was good. And um, stay in prayer with the Lord and don't be afraid to move forward. <laughs>